Are you ready? Because I'm ready. We're back. Today is Tuesday, February 15th. I am Pastor David, and this is Renew. Let's get started. Let's go ahead and get started. Welcome back. Gather around. Let's remind ourselves before we dive in that this year we are seeking daily renewal through four pathways. We want to hear God's voice. We rejoice that we get to have God's ear in prayer, that we get to belong to his people in the church, and we get to join in his mission to declare his gospel and make disciples from our neighborhoods to all nations. So let's go ahead and dive into our first pathway now, rejoicing that we get to hear God's voice. Okay, so we begin today with our first pathway, and that is hearing God's voice. Hearing God's voice. We rejoice that we get to hear the voice of God. Before we dive into the scripture, let's remind ourselves of the prayer that I encourage each of us to have before we dive into God's word, using the H-E-A-R, right? We want to pray for our hearts. We want to pray for our eyes. We want to pray for our attitudes. We want to pray for our responses. We want to say, God, Today, as I open your word, I pray for my heart. God, I pray for my eyes. I pray for my attitude. I pray for my response. And if you're curious about some connected uh, scriptures with each of those, check back to Thursday's video or audio uh, for that. The text I want to just quickly highlight today begins in Luke chapter 5, verse 33. You might remember in Sunday's sermon, we left off with Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus has just called Levi the tax collector, to follow him. And Levi left everything, Luke writes, and followed Jesus. Then Levi invites Jesus over to his home and has invited some of his friends. And so Jesus and some of his followers at the time go over to Levi's home, where Levi is holding this, uh, this meal for Jesus and his followers. And it says that tax collectors and sinners. That's the way the Pharisees and the scribes are going to refer to those that Jesus and his followers were sharing a meal with over at Levi's home. And so in Luke chapter 5 verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled against Jesus and his disciples. That word grumbled, as we saw on Sunday, is often used uh, to uh, to signify a lack of faith, uh, to, to a way of, of of people complaining against God, complaining against what God is doing, complaining against God's provision or God's action. It, we see it back in the wilderness, back in Exodus. It's used as a pattern throughout the Old Testament, and it's used that way in the New Testament as well. So the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling against Jesus and his followers, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, if you're so holy, if you're a man of God, why are you keeping uh, fellowship with that type of uh, folks. And so Jesus, you might remember, we looked at this on Sunday, responds, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then in verse 33, we looked at those verses on Sunday. In verse 33, just as there is a question about the company that Jesus and his disciples are keeping, there is also a question about the religious practice of Jesus and his disciples. So in verse 33 of Luke chapter 5, they said to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often, that is John the Baptist, 
fast often and offer prayers. And so the, do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And let's remember, this is right in the context of their question about Jesus eating and drinking with the tax collectors and the sinners, the category of people that they lump in there. So they're saying, Jesus, you eat and drink with these tax collectors and these sinners, but yet you do not fast and offer the prayers in the same way as the disciples of John or even John himself, or certainly the Pharisees are doing. So Jesus, can you explain your religious practice, your religious piety? Because we believe your behavior in eating and drinking with that group is questionable, and we believe your behavior in seemingly not keeping the fast, keeping the prayers is questionable. Now, what we know is at the time of Jesus, zealous Jews often fasted twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. We see in the Old Testament places where God's people are called to fast. We know from the, from the Gospels that Jesus himself fasted. We see, for example, in the book of Acts that his followers, his disciples, did indeed fast. But apparently, those who are questioning Saul and the religious practice of Jesus and his disciples, something different. He was They, they were not fasting I guess, in the quote-unquote appropriate way or in the same way that other zealous or pious Jews would do. Jesus's response in Luke chapter 5 verse 34 is, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. In essence, what Jesus is saying here is that he defines worship. Now, we're going to see this explicitly as we turn into chapter 6 with the Sabbath. But here, Jesus, just like we saw with the paralyzed man, where the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, that Jesus here is going to say that he dictates worship, that he is the center of worship, that he decides what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, and that the key to fasting is the presence of God. The reason one was to fast was to put away uh, other distractions, to put away other necessities, and to focus on the most important thing, and that is God. And so what Jesus is saying is when the bridegroom is present, which would not have been lost because the, I, the bridegroom picture was used by that time in several of the prophetic writings. For example, in Isaiah in Ezekiel, uh, also, for example, in the book of Hosea, is a picture of the time when the Messiah would be there. And what Jesus seemingly is saying here is there was a time of preparation, but now there is a time of fulfillment, and my presence marks that fulfillment. So, for example, as we sit in between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, this is why we spend time fasting, right? That we spend time calling for his presence. But when he is with us, there is no need because he is actually with us, uh, presently with us. We have the full gift of his presence. Think of it in this way. Think of you carry around a picture uh, of a loved one, right? You may hold on to that picture. You may long, uh, you, you may use that picture to remember uh, your loved one, but you have no need for that picture when you are physically in the presence of that loved one. That picture is a shadow of the full reality. And that's what Jesus here is saying. You fast to get to God, but when God is in your midst, why would you fast? And then he tells two parables uh, to explain that at the end of chapter 5. Today, as we pray to hear God's voice, let us remember that the centerpiece, the centerpiece of the way that God has spoken to you and to me is Jesus. 
that Jesus is that God has spoken finally and fully in the person and work of Jesus, and that He is to define our worship. He is to define the purpose of our worship, and He is to define the direction of our worship, and He is to even define the type of our worship. That everything that we do in our lives should be Christocentric, that Jesus should be the centerpiece. All right, once we have heard God's voice, then we turn and rejoice that we have God's ear. And when we pray, notice we often say in our prayers, in Jesus' name or in the name of Jesus. Because just as we saw the centerpiece, the centerpiece of our worship is to be Jesus. He is also the foundation of our prayer. He is the foundation of our approach to God the Father. We go to God the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. All of our prayers, we might say, are Trinitarian. But at the center of that is Christ himself because we come to God the Father in Christ, not as servants, not as slaves, but as sons and daughters, as co-heirs with Christ. And so when we come to God the Father in prayer, we come boldly because of Christ. We come in the holy power of the Holy Spirit because of Christ. And let's remind ourselves of our daily prayers that we are offering up. Mondays are for Magnify Mondays. We're praying for God to be magnified in our lives. Today is Tuesday, so we're praying for transformation in our lives, in our families, in our church family. And then we're praying for an awakening in our community, in our neighborhoods, and to all nations. Tomorrow is Wednesday, and so we're going to pray for our places of work. We're going to pray for, pray for our schools. We're going to pray for our neighborhoods. And what I want to just do uh, in today's section here is I just want to offer a prayer uh, for these things. I want to invite you to pray with me. So let's pray together. Father, today is Tuesday. And God, we today come before you and we pray for transformation. God, we know that we are to be transformed. We know that the only way to be transformed is to be transformed by you. As Jesus says, he came to call sinners to repentance. Father, we recognize that word repentance means to change our minds, to change the course of our thinking, to change the course of our behavior. God, and we remember that that's only possible when you create in us a clean heart. Father, when we become through Christ, as the Apostle Paul so gloriously writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a new creation. Father, today we pray for transformation. For we know the end goal of your work in our lives is that we would not be merely transformed, but that we would be conformed to the image of Christ that what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives is molding us and sculpting us to look like Jesus. Today, Father, I pray that we would be transformed. I pray for us individually. Father, I pray for us in our families. Father, that our lives individually and our lives with our families, that, Father, your Spirit would do his sculpting work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Father, I pray that for our church family. Father, from our nursery to the nursing homes. Father, for those in our church family. Father, that we would look more like Jesus. That, Father, we would run this race together. 
Father, that we would uh, not neglect meeting together where possible, but Father, that we would mutually encourage and exhort and edify one another, that collectively, Father, that we would look more like Jesus. Father, I pray that as we look more like Jesus, that Father, that the gospel would, would go forth in our communities. I pray that the gospel would, would, would grow from our church family into our neighborhoods, into our community, and then spread to the very ends of the earth. Father, I pray that as we are transformed as your people, that then we would see a transformation around us. Father, that we, as we are conformed to the image of Christ, Father, as we live as those who bear your image, Father, that we would not carry your name in vain, but that we would remember and rejoice that there is salvation in the name of Jesus and that we would live as salt and light for him. And then, Father, as we live in that way, we pray for our places of work. Father, I pray for the places where those in my church family work. Father, I pray for those businesses. I pray for those business leaders. Father, I pray for um, those co-workers. Father, I ask for your blessing upon them. Father, I pray that you who, who said, let light shine out of darkness would shine into their hearts to give the light of the glory of your gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that today that you would bless uh, our, our local businesses, that you would bless our local schools. God, we pray for our, our principals. We pray for our teachers. We pray for our school administrations. We pray for our students. Father, we also pray for the places that we uh, visit frequently. We pray for those grocery stores. We pray for those restaurants. We pray for those gas stations. We, we pray for all the various places that we go, for the banks, the post offices. Father, we ask for your hand of blessing on those places. And God, we ask today that you would exalt yourself and that, Father, that you would work in the lives of those who work there. Father, we thank you and praise you that we are not asking you to begin a work, but that we recognize that we are joining you in what you have already begun, that you are not an idle God, but you are a living God, and that your word is living and active, and that, Father, you have not left our world without a testimony, and that, Father, we are the salt and light of the earth. And, Father, as you sent Jesus, we so go in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and carry forth a good news of great joy as ambassadors and messengers of reconciliation. And so, Father, we pray for transformation today and tomorrow, Father, we pray for our local businesses, our places of work, for those co-workers, for those classmates, for those administrations, and for those places that we frequent throughout the week. And we ask for your hand of blessing. Father, would you be gracious? Would you bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Then, Father, may that start in our lives as we are transformed, and may that go into our community, from our neighborhoods and in our community. Father, even the places of work, the places of businesses, to the schools, that others may see and hear and know that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And we praise you and thank you for that glorious truth today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we move to our third pathway, you might say I am on location. 
After we have heard God's voice through his word and had his ear in prayer, we turn our attention to our brothers and sisters and our church family here in Green Level as we remember and rejoice that we belong to God's people. God has not called us to go live the Christian life, to follow him on our own individual islands. No, he has called and collected us into community. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in his wonderful little work, Life Together, Christian community is a gracious gift from God. It is never something that you and I should take for granted. And here in Green Level, we believe from the nursery to the nursing home that we should rejoice because we get to belong to God's people. We get to be a church family in Christ. That we are called, we are collected, and we are commissioned to take his gospel from our neighborhoods to the very ends of the earth. And so what we're doing each day in this third pathway is we are pausing and praying for our brothers and sisters here in Green Level. We are inviting you to take one of two approaches to do this. The first approach is called the monthly approach. And what that means is the first day of the month corresponds to a restart of the alphabet. You're like, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's take the month of February as an example because we're in February. On February the 1st, because it's the first day of the month, under the monthly approach, you would begin to pray for all the individuals and families in our church family whose last names begin with the first letter of the alphabet. So February 1st, all of the A individuals and families. February 2nd, all of the B individuals and families. Today is the 15th day of February, so you're praying for all of the individuals and families in our church family whose last names begin with the 15th letter of the alphabet. That happens to be the letter O. So today you're praying for all of the O individuals and families. Tomorrow is February 16th, so you move on to the 16th letter, the letter P. So tomorrow you've got all the P individuals and families. You got it? All right, the other approach is what we're calling the weekday approach. It's a little bit different than the monthly approach in that you're only praying Monday through Friday, and then after Friday you press pause, and then you, you skip the weekend, and you pick back up where you left off on Monday. So in the monthly approach, you've got O families today. In the weekday approach, you're on F individuals and families. So if you're doing the weekday approach, today you're praying for all the individuals and families in our church family whose last names begin with the letter F. And so tomorrow, you've got all the individuals and families with last names beginning, beginning with the letter G. And you're going to keep going until you get to Friday. You're going to press pause, and you're going to pick back up the following week. Whichever approach you choose, whether you do the monthly approach or the weekday approach, let's just say awesome, fantastic, wonderful, because it means you are praying for brothers and sisters in our church family. And think about it. That means today, some of you, your last name begins with the letter O. And so you know today, you've got brothers and sisters praying for you. Others of you, your last names begin with the letter F. And today, you know, I've got brothers and sisters praying for me. Tomorrow, some of you, are, your last name begins with the letter P. You're going to know people are praying for me today. Some of you, your last name begins with the letter G. You're going to know people are praying for me today. And so throughout the month as we go, you're going to know people are praying for me today and you're going to be praying for others. And let me encourage you, as you are praying, maybe reach out to someone, shoot them a text, write them an email, write them an actual handwritten letter, make a phone call, 
Just let somebody know, hey, today I am praying for you. Today I have prayed for you. And let's remind ourselves, right now we are using Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3 as a guide for praying for these brothers and sisters. And so here's what that would look like if you're using Ephesians chapter 3 to pray for brothers and sisters in our church family today. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, Paul prays for spiritual strength for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus. We are using his prayer there as a guide for our prayers for our brothers and sisters here in Green Level. And whenever we get to you or your, we're substituting the names of our brothers and sisters there. So in the monthly approach for today, here's what we might pray. And again, today we're praying for all of the O individuals and families. Beginning at verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason... I bow my knees before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant this O family to be strengthened with power through your spirit in their inner being, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they, these brothers and sisters, this, this O individual, this O family, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they, Father, this brother, this sister, this O family, may be filled with all the fullness of you. Father, this is my earnest prayer for them today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. If you're praying for families in the weekday approach. And so today you're on the F individuals and families. Your prayer might sound something like this. For this reason, I bow my knee before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant this brother, this sister, this F family to be strengthened with power through your spirit in their inner being, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they, Father, this F individual, this F family, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they, Father, this F individual, this F family, may be filled with all of your fullness. Father, today, this is my earnest prayer for them and I pray and ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. After we have heard God's voice through his word, and we have had his ear in prayer, and then we have rejoiced as we have prayed for our brothers and sisters in our church family, remembering that we get to belong to his people here in Green Level, then we remember and rejoice that we get to join in his mission. We remember and rejoice that our God is redeeming for himself a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That one day, people from these tribes, these tongues, these nations, will gather around the throne and say, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. It's not a question of if, it is a question of whether or not if we will get to be a part of it. Not whether he will do it, not if he can do it, not if he will do it, but whether we will be a part of what he is doing. So we're not asking God to join us. No, friend, we are joining him. 
And today on my computer, I wanna highlight a resource that you can go to and you can use today. They also have a mobile app and it's called the Joshua Project. Now, some of you maybe are very familiar with the Joshua Project. Others of you might be thinking, who in the world is Joshua? Never heard of him. Well, the Joshua Project highlights what are called unreached people groups. So what they do is they take the world population and they break it down into people groups. Now you might be thinking, why do they do this? Well, they do this because of the Great Commission in Matthew where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. There in the original Koine Greek, it is panta ta ethne for all nations, which literally translated is something like all ethnicities or all ethnic groups or all people groups. And so panta ta ethne, ethne is the word from which we get ethnicities. So you might be thinking, well, what in the world is a people group and why has the Joshua Project broken down the world population into people groups? Well, they've done it for evangelistic purposes coming off of, again, the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel. You might still be thinking, well, what in the world is a people group? You still have not told me. Well, according to Joshua Project, they're using the definition from the Lausanne Chicago Conference meeting in 1982. And the definition that they gave for people groups is this. A people group, for evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planning movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. Now you still might be thinking that was not very helpful. What in the world still is a people group? Well, the Joshua Project goes on and clarifies a little bit. They say, ideally, people group would always be defined to mean A, all individuals in the group understand each other reasonably well, and B, cultural relationship barriers aren't so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. Now, that is the definition that they give. They also recognize, though, that sometimes it's hard to draw clear lines of distinction. The Joshua Project recognizes that uh, you take physical nations and within those physical nations, you're gonna have sometimes dozens and even hundreds of people groups. So a country like ours, the United States of America, is gonna have almost 400 people groups. Well, a nation like India is gonna have well over 900 people groups. So you can see there's, a, there's some disparity there, but we're still saying that the, some within national uh, borders that you're gonna break people down even further as defined by the Joshua Project. And what the Joshua Project says is there, there are over 17,000 people groups. So we might think there's a, few, a little over 200 nations or countries in the world right now, but they're saying there's over 17,000 people groups for the purposes of sharing the gospel. What they highlight is of those people groups, over 7,000 are still considered to be unreached. That's 42.5% of those 17,000 people groups. Now you might be thinking, what in the world does it mean if a people group is unreached? What is an unreached people group? Well, the Joshua Project defines an unreached people group in this way. A people group whose number of followers of Christ and amount of resources make outside assistance necessary to reach the rest of the group with the gospel. So there's not a clear gospel presence among them, and they don't have the resources to even share the gospel internally within the people group. And let's remind ourselves, today, February 15th, 2022, 42.5% of these people groups are considered to be unreached. Still today. 
Now, the Joshua Project has a myriad of ways that you can pray for these people groups. You can ask God to raise up a gospel presence, to raise up a gospel witness, and talks about how you can participate in that, how you can join in what God is doing by praying and giving and going, as we saw last week with the I and B. But here's what I want to share with you this morning. As you begin to use the Joshua Project, here's what you begin to notice. God is bringing several men and women and boys and girls from these people groups to our neighborhoods, to our businesses, to our schools. The Great Commission is go and make disciples of all nations. But I told you, God will redeem for himself a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And friend, if they're not going to hear the gospel by folks like us taking it to them, then God is going to bring them to our doorstep where we will tell them here. And so you don't have to get on a boat, you don't have to get on a plane to often encounter men and women and boys and girls, image bearers made in God's image, just like you and just like me, who need his gospel. And so you, as you are using this Joshua Project, would you pray that God would use you to pray, yes, for those people groups that, and those men and women, boys and girls who are living across the sea, but would you also use God would you, often, would you also pray today that God would use you to share the gospel with many of these boys, these girls, these men, these women who live not across the sea, but across the street? And when you say, God, would you use me to be salt and light? God, would you use our church to be a local embassy that we would remember that our core identity is as ministers of reconciliation and that all, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So use the Joshua Project and pray and then use the Joshua Project and go. It may not be across the sea, but it might very well be across the street. Come on, come on. You know me, you know I've got to have just one more thing. Well, today our one more thing comes from this wonderful work by pastor theologian Tim Keller. And in chapter one, Tim Keller is highlighting the gospel and he writes this. The gospel is news about what has been done by Jesus Christ to put right our relationship with God. He says that becoming a Christian is a change in our status. It is a change, you might say, in our allegiance. But he also highlights that sometimes we mistake the gospel because our focus is on our response to the gospel, how we are living. And so we begin to mistake response for identity. We begin to mistake uh, building for foundation that our lives are to reflect the gospel. As we have prayed today, we are to be transformed. We are to be conformed. But that is not the foundation of the gospel. The gospel is not our response. The gospel is the good news to which we respond. And it is the good news about God and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. And so he highlights how a 20th century pastor named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones would often ask people if they truly grasp the gospel. He would often say, are you ready now to say that you are a Christian? 
And people, he, and Martin Lloyd-Jones often noted how people would say, I, I don't know. I don't, I just don't think I'm good enough. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't think my, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I, I can be good enough. I don't know that I would say that. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, Keller quotes, would respond in this way when people begin to say, I don't know that I. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, at once I know that they are still thinking in terms of themselves. Their idea still is that they have to make themselves good enough to be a Christian. It sounds very modest, but it is the lie of the devil. It is a denial of the faith. You will never be good enough. Nobody has ever been good enough. The essence of the Christian salvation is to say that he is good enough and that I am in him. Amen. Amen. May that be your declaration today. May that be the message you trumpet today, that he is good enough and that you are in him. Rejoice, remember, and rest in him. Rest in his identity, rest in who he is, and rest on his finished work on your behalf and his ongoing work through the Spirit in your life today. A work that his word says that one day God will bring to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So keep praying, keep remembering, keep rejoicing, and keep resting. And have a terrific Tuesday. And remember, God is good.